Listen up, everybody. On Tuesday, March 19th, 4.15 Eastern Time, that's 1.15 here local in LA, I'll be hosting a webinar to discuss Cambria's two new ETFs, the Cambria Tactical Yield ETF, ticker TYLD, and the Cambria Micro and Small Cap Shareholder Yield ETF, ticker MYLD. Head over to Cambria's Twitter and LinkedIn pages to find the registration link. Once again, that's March 19th at 4.15 Eastern Time. Look forward to seeing you. Carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses before investing. This and other information can be found by visiting our website at www.cambryfunds.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of capital. The Cambry ETFs are distributed by Alps Distributors, Inc., member FINRA, FINRA. Welcome, podcast friends. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 4. We offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast, and listeners loved it. This year, we're once again bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 5, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guest and let them take over this special episode. Hello. My name is Andrew Patterson, and I'm a senior economist at Vanguard within our investment strategy group. I lead the team charged with developing and communicating our firm's economic and market outlook, and I'm here today to share some of our team's research. Founded in 1975, Vanguard is one of the world's most respected investment management companies. Our firm offers investments, advice, and retirement services and insights to individuals, institutions, and financial professionals. Based in Malvern, Pennsylvania, Vanguard has offices worldwide and manages more than $8 trillion on behalf of 30 million clients. Vanguard operates under a unique investor-owned structure and adheres to our simple purpose. That is, to take a stand for all investors, to treat them fairly, and to give them the best chance for investment success. To learn more about us, you can find us at about.vanguard.com. Now, the piece I'm going to read, The Idea Multiplier and Acceleration to Innovation is Coming, is part of Vanguard's Megatrend series. Megatrends have accompanied humankind throughout history. From the Neolithic Revolution to the Information Age, innovation has been the catalyst for profound socioeconomic, cultural, and political transformation. The term megatrends was popularized by author John Nasbitt, who was interested in the transformative forces that have major impact on both businesses and societies, and thus the potential to change all areas of our personal and professional lives. Vanguard's Megatrend series is a research effort that investigates fundamental shifts in the global economic landscape that are likely to affect the financial services industry and broader society. A megatrend may bring market growth or destroy it, it may increase competition or add barriers to entry, and it creates threats or it may uncover opportunities. Exploring the long-term nature of massive shifts in technology, demographics, and globalization can help us better understand how such forces may shape future markets, individuals, and the investing landscape in the years ahead. Introduction. Productivity. A paradox for the ages. One of the greatest economic paradoxes of the last 40 years has been the slowdown in productivity growth coinciding with the advancement of technological innovation, particularly that in the field of computing. This is sometimes referred to as the solo computer paradox after Robert Solo's 1987 remark that you can see the computer age everywhere but in the productivity statistics. Fast forward 30 years and you can now apply Solo's remarks to robotics, AI, machine learning, and more. Analysts attribute the current slowdown to causes ranging from an aging population to mismeasurement. Figure one, though, shows clearly that technological advancement 
represented by inventions such as the telephone, light bulb, and computer, does not result in immediate benefits to productivity growth. It takes time for such changes to be adopted en masse and diffused through an economy. In fact, in each of those three instances, it took more than 50 years for 50% of U.S. households to have a telephone, electricity, or access to a home computer. We will later discuss this adoption rate and its implications for our work. Over the past decade, economic productivity has grown at a stubborn rate of 0.4% annually, a drop from the 1990s rate of 0.8%, and a collapse from the 2% surge that propelled U.S. living standards in the mid-20th century. Robotics and artificial intelligence seem to allow us to do more with less, but this is not reflected in productivity measures. Researchers offer a number of explanations for this paradox. Some suggest that today's innovations, such as the smartphone and social media platforms, pale in comparison to the Industrial Revolution and the electrification of homes and production facilities. Others attribute the decline to demographic trends or mismeasurement. For example, a service economy is typically viewed as being harder to measure than a manufacturing economy. In this paper, we identify a phenomenon that helps explain the post-2000 decline in productivity growth, namely, a stagnation in the expansion of new ideas as measured by a proprietary indicator, the idea multiplier. This metric is based on the number of times influential research published in academic and industry journals is acknowledged and built upon in subsequent articles. Our analysis suggests that a recent surge in the idea multiplier portends a productivity increase to 1.2% annually over the next five years, double the rate of the past two decades. Such growth should translate into higher wages, higher profits, and higher living standards. Productivity growth. Moon landings are great, but the 1970s ushered in the information age. Like the Renaissance and Industrial Revolution before it, this was a turning point in the world's evolution. Work and life would never be the same as personal computers replaced typewriters at home and the office, and eventually, smartphones and tablets gave users more computing power in the palm of their hand than NASA had during the moon landing. Yet these amazing technological breakthroughs, many of which occurred actually in the past 20 years, coincided with a period of low productivity growth. How was this possible when calculations that previously would have taken hours and cost small fortunes in hardware can now be completed in seconds? Research has shown that paradigm-shifting advancements in technology or business practices take time to pass through to output and productivity measures. Perhaps it's still too early to measure the true impact of the information age, but today's slow productivity growth remains puzzling and a source of robust academic debate. Many explanations for the slowdown in productivity growth have been presented with sound theoretical and analytical support. In figure two, we outline some of the most well-known hypotheses and supporting research, including dearth of new ideas, demographics, shift to services, lack of diffusion of new ideas and technology, and measurement issues. In all likelihood, each of these causes has played a role to some degree. However, we respectfully disagree with those who imply that new ideas are increasingly hard to come by and don't have the potential to drive future productivity growth. In fact, our work shows that the quality, impact, and sharing of ideas have actually been rising in recent years. We should all be concerned with productivity growth. Productivity is the ratio of some measure of output attributed to some measure of resource allocation, be it people, technology, or time. Now, why does productivity matter? Well, the more productive a firm or industry is, the higher its potential profit margin should be. Differences in productivity and associated economic growth contribute significantly to differences in country standard of living. More productive countries are able to use their aggregate inputs, such as physical and human capital, more efficiently. 
This facilitates faster income growth for businesses and for households. We can see this in the relationship between productivity and wages, as we outlined in figure three. The more productive a person is, the faster that person should expect his or her wages to grow. The link between productivity and asset returns, though not as direct, is still significant. It is productivity's relationship with the risk-free interest rate and the discount rate used in pricing stocks and bonds. Vanguard research has shown that the forecasting accuracy of discount rates or risk premiums is affected by expectations for risk-free rates over time. Risk-free interest rates, such as the yield on U.S. Treasury securities, are the building blocks on which asset return expectations are built. Productivity goes a long way towards setting expectations for those rates. In essence, higher productivity results in higher risk-free rates. The higher the risk-free rate, the higher the expectation for absolute returns on all assets. As is true of other macroeconomic indicators, this relationship is most relevant over the long term. Investors should not form any short-term return expectations based solely on changes in productivity growth. Ideas as patents. Idea generation and the technological enhancement it supports has long been acknowledged as an important driver of growth. As companies and countries apply new technologies and learn new processes, the benefits compound. Much of the existing literature on the impact of ideas on productivity focuses on patents. The typical reasoning holds that if an idea was good enough to patent, it should improve productivity, even more so when it is good enough to patent in multiple countries. Diffusion, or the spread of ideas across countries and industries and the length of time they take to be applied, can also be measured. This measurement can be incorporated into an assessment of the merits of a patent, which also affect productivity enhancement. Essentially, the faster and wider a patent spreads, the greater its impact, particularly on countries or industries not yet at the technological frontier. However, not all ideas get patented. Patenting takes time and can involve regulatory hurdles that differ by country. The U.S. Patent Code was established to provide transparency to technologies and processes, in turn allowing others to use the information to develop their own new ideas. If you think about it, in reality, it's the idea behind the patented or not patented technology or process that enhances growth and productivity by facilitating other ideas. That is where our idea multiplier comes in. A new idea for measuring innovation and forecasting productivity. Understanding how innovation happens in the real world is easier if we step back from economics textbooks and consider the backstories of history's greatest breakthroughs. The lone genius going it alone, having a light bulb moment, and suddenly seeing what all others have missed is the romanticized ideal. The true evolution of game-changing ideas is much more complicated, but also more encouraging. Innovation does not occur in a vacuum. Instead, is it a manifestation of the compounding of ideas, both old and new, from disciplines related and seemingly unrelated to the innovator's region or industry? A great example is the Wright brothers' use of ornithological research to mimic the twists in a bird's wings and create more aerodynamic wing for their airplane. In short, invention or innovation is a function of exposure to ideas and the application and transformation of those ideas in a novel and creative way that in turn breeds more ideas. Ideas are the building block of innovation, and innovation, in turn, breeds productivity. The latter cannot occur without the former. The creation of the modern-day smartphone, for example, relied on hundreds of previous discoveries, many outside of the United States, in fields ranging from automatic data compression to zooming functionality. A key component of all modern-day smartphones is the alkali aluminosilicate sheet glass used on the touchscreen. This innovation was developed in the 1960s, but had little practical use until the consumer electronics industry experimented with the chemically strengthened glass in the mid-2000s. Measuring ideas and their evolution may seem like an abstract concept. They are not statistics one can gather from typical economic data providers. 
but a relatively recent innovation that itself facilitates the sharing of ideas, the internet, allows us to quantify the development and transmission of ideas throughout industries and countries by tracking academic journal citations. These journals often act as a base camp where ideas are articulated and debated before firms invest heavily in R&D and any patents are granted. Some ideas may emanate from the private sector, while others come from universities or government agencies. At the end of the day, all are built on a foundation of existing ideas, while a select few either go on to be great themselves or serve as building blocks for great ideas in the future. A groundbreaking idea should spur multiple future ideas since it represents a fundamental building block of innovation. To try to study this, we use the Clairvit Analytics Web of Science platform, a global citation database with more than 1.7 billion data points. Using those, we attempt to calculate a metric, which we have termed the idea multiplier, to measure how many future ideas are sparked by one idea today. We will demonstrate a statistically significant relationship between changes in the idea multiplier and the idea diffusion index, which I'll describe later, and subsequent changes in productivity for both industries and countries. So before stepping into the specifics of the calculation, I wanted to spend a moment walking through the framework of the idea multiplier. In general, we hope to, using the Clairvit Web of Science data, screen for the most influential ideas within each industry from 1970 through 2018. In doing so, we compile forward citation data from each idea or journal article over a three-year period. This represents more than 200 million data points. In order to solve for the issues associated with an increase in journal articles due to the proliferation of trade and industry journals over the last several years, we normalize forward citations by the total number of articles published in a given year. The idea multiplier and industry productivity. We first explored the relationship between the idea multiplier and productivity in 14 major industries. This analysis illuminated the link between changes in a specific field of knowledge and productivity changes in related industries. Our industry selection process had the following criteria. One, practical economic implications. As important as arts and literature are to society and culture, measuring their economic impact can be very ambiguous. Two, robust history of academic research. This ensured that a large enough data set to track citations and calculate an idea multiplier for the industry. Three, matching NAICS industry classification. This provided our dependent variable, industry-level productivity growth as proxied by the real value of output per worker. Our methodology was based on traditional growth models from research by Caselli, Esquivelle, and Lafort. The authors used the generalized method of moments proposed by Ariano and Bond to study the factors that influence an economy's growth rate. Our findings should be interpreted as estimates of how an industry's productivity growth can be expected to change based on changes in that industry's own idea multiplier. We moderated noise from the business cycle variations by organizing our data set in five-year increments, similar to the process followed by Barrow. In equation one, the dependent variable, industry productivity growth, is represented by the average annual growth over the five-year period. The idea multiplier value is taken at the start of the five-year period to help demonstrate the leading rather than coincidental relationship. As other similar studies have done, in order to account for initial levels of productivity and capital, we included a lagged variable of productivity growth and real output per worker as independent variables. Industries with high levels of initial capital, proxied by initial per capita output, typically have limited capacity to expand it further. We also included initial level of investment and years of schooling. Industries with lower starting levels of these factors receive higher marginal productivity payoff from any improvement in them. 
our research shows that productivity is a function of lag productivity, real output per worker, investment within that industry, average years of schooling within that industry, and finally, our own proprietary idea multiplier metric. We find a statistically significant relationship at the industry level between the idea multiplier and productivity growth. A 0.1 unit increase in an industry's idea multiplier will increase annual productivity growth by 2.6 percentage points from its current level over the subsequent five-year period. What does this mean for productivity? In recent years, the idea multiplier of 10 of our 14 industries has increased markedly, suggesting a productivity spike may be on the horizon. In figure six, we show that historically, industries with the largest increases or decreases in their idea multipliers have had faster or slower productivity growth. Figure seven highlights a few industries and sub-industries that experience the largest idea multiplier increases, including transportation and civil engineering, machinery, and material sciences. A notable mention is the field of genetics, which fell just short of making our list. It has experienced large idea multiplier increases in the past few years and offers exciting possibilities because of its interconnectedness with many other industries. Please note, the optimistic productivity outlook for these fields does not mean their future asset returns should be expected to exceed those of other industries. Investors should refrain from making any investment decisions based solely on our findings because many factors, particularly valuations, help explain future asset returns. Next, we want to know what our findings meant for total U.S. productivity. We calculated an overall idea multiplier covering the entire U.S. economy, allowing us to capture the effects from other research areas where industry-specific analysis wasn't feasible. The overall idea multiplier has increased by 0.02 units in the last year. This may not sound remarkable at first, but it translates to expected annual productivity growth of 1.2% over the next five years, holding all other variables constant. In figure eight, we show that the positive correlation between changes in the idea multiplier and the future of productivity, as well as the historical significance of recent increases, translates into such a number. For perspective, 1.2% productivity growth is double the post-2000 average of 0.6%. It is even higher than the 0.8% growth during the 1990s internet technology revolution. This could lead to higher wages and higher standards of living, not to mention further development of new ideas and inventions with the potential to significantly change our way of life. What is causing the idea multiplier to multiply? The combination of globalization and technology has increased the speed and frequency of knowledge sharing. This has allowed ideas to compound at a faster rate, which is the very thing that spurs innovation and higher productivity growth. Our calculations show that as recently as the year 2000, the United States generated half the world's published ideas. China, despite a population of 1.3 billion, had contributed only 4%, but this is changing. Figure 9 shows that since the year 2000, idea generation has diversified and global sharing intensified. According to our calculations, if the global sharing of ideas had not grown since 1990, the current idea multiplier would be 47% lower. It would be 67% lower if global sharing had never occurred, underlining the importance of the global sharing of ideas. Although our idea multiplier normalizes for the total number of articles, it's also worth considering how many future ideas are generated from one idea today. We find that in 1980, one influential idea led to 40 more ideas. The idea multiplier rose in the late 1980s, particularly in the fields of computers, electronics, and telecommunications, before declining in the mid-1990s, roughly five years before the internet bubble. 
For the past two decades, this ratio was stuck at around 200 to 1, which may help explain sluggish productivity growth over that time. But a recent surge in our normalized idea multiplier is clearly evident. Today, one new idea now leads to 400 additional ideas on average, 10 times the number that we saw back in the 1980s. Our optimistic outlook for future productivity growth is grounded in this change. The globalization of ideas, idea diffusion. If idea sharing in an industry is tied to productivity gains, we can well imagine this process replicating globally across national boundaries. Ideas from the U.S. have the potential to spill over and generate new concepts around the world, which in turn can then benefit the U.S. Idea sharing creates a positive externality. When a country draws on foreign ideas, its domestic pool of knowledge expands, which in turn helps other countries that access that knowledge. This process of idea diffusion has a multiplier effect. Both the creator and the user of knowledge benefit as long as the ideas can flow freely across borders. Luckily, and in contrast to the patent process, the majority of ideas looked at in our research are shared in the form of research papers and journal articles and are available for use irrespective of firm, industry, or country of origin. The idea diffusion metric, which we collected for 14 major economies, measures this sharing. The variable is a proxy for the degree to which a country uses ideas originating in other countries. As we show in figure 11, idea diffusion has consistently grown in our observed country since the 1970s. During that decade, the U.S. published more research than any other country, but it rarely looked outside for inspiration. This held true elsewhere as well. New research from that era overwhelmingly studied other domestic research, demonstrating a clear home bias in idea generation. This changed gradually as globalization encouraged knowledge transmission and technology, most influentially the internet, increased the availability and timeliness of information. Cross-pollination of ideas among countries prevailed and research momentum grew. The U.S. remains the clear leader in generating research, but because it now incorporates research from many foreign sources, the total pool of ideas has expanded by a factor of nine since 1970. Other countries have also increased their use of external research, in turn generating more domestic research of their own. Home bias, or reliance on domestic knowledge, has shrunk from 43% in 1970 to 23% in recent years, and this has real benefits for long-term productivity and growth. Again, before we get into the specifics of the calculation for the idea diffusion index, I wanted to spend a moment explaining the framework at a higher level. In calculating the idea diffusion index, for each country, we calculated the total citations each year and, separately, the citations that came from other countries. For example, country X received 700 citations in the year 2000. 80 of these came from country Y, 20 from country Z, and so on. Then, based on that data, we were able to determine how many of the articles each country cited originated domestically as opposed to from other countries each year. For example, in the year 2000, country Y cited 80 articles from country X, 45 from country Z, and so on. In this way, we collected time series of each country's citations. Obviously, smaller countries cited both external and internal research less than larger countries were able to. To normalize for that, we divided X home country citations in time T by the number of articles written in time T plus one, T plus two, and T plus three. Global sharing of ideas leads to a more productive world. To determine whether this wave of idea sharing benefits global growth, we began with a model similar to the one used by Caselli, Esquivel, and Lafort. It included variables traditionally considered vital to an economy's growth, such as total stock of initial physical capital, population growth rate, and government spending. 
We then added our measure of idea diffusion for each country to create a panel data for countries, as shown in equation two. We measure the dependent variable output by rate of growth in GDP per capita. In our work with the idea diffusion index, the dependent variable is the rate of growth of GDP per capita. We included the lagged value of the growth rate in GDP per capita as an independent variable. All other independent variables were considered at the beginning of time periods to account for the initial position of the economy. Thus, all state of the economy variables were measured at the beginning of the five-year period. The savings rate was proxied by investment as a percentage of GDP. The gross per capita GDP proxied for initial stock of capital. Other variables included were government spending and log of population growth rate. We introduced our own measure, the idea diffusion index, as a proxy for the rate of labor augmenting technological progress. In our regression results, the coefficient for the idea diffusion index is both positive and highly significant. We estimate that a 0.1 unit rise in the idea diffusion index increases average growth rate and real output per worker by 2% over a five-year period. This is evidence that as an economy absorbs more ideas from outside its domestic knowledge pool, it generally grows at a higher rate than if all ideas had been domestically sourced. Therefore, the sharing of ideas across borders is a significant driver of long-term global growth. Conclusion. The creation and sharing of ideas at both industry and country levels has proven to significantly boost productivity. Under reasonable assumptions, we expect productivity growth to climb above 1% over the next five years. This means higher profits for companies, higher wages for workers, and stronger global economic growth. Our optimism is grounded in the recent increase in the sharing and application of ideas as measured by our new proprietary metrics, the idea multiplier, and the idea diffusion indices. But this productivity growth is not a foregone conclusion. Steps must be taken by governments, corporations, and individuals to ensure the continued expansion of the global sharing and application of ideas. Ideas that are constrained by borders, both real and virtual, are inhibited from reaching their full potential. We find that countries with more open terms of trade have idea diffusion scores 0.11 units higher than those of less open countries, indicating productivity growth that is two percentage points higher. Developing economies have already experienced periods of rapid idea diffusion. Now, advanced economies such as the US and Japan may be poised to gain greater benefits from foreign knowledge, including that emanating from these developing economies, after decades of being net knowledge exporters. Corporations must continue to invest in research and development to spur innovation. Partnering with public research institutions will magnify the number of potentially revolutionary ideas. In today's world of hyper-specialization, individuals should also keep up with research outside of their occupational field. That's when they have the opportunity to bring a novel approach to an existing idea, just as Orville and Wilbur Wright did. (laughs) 